You know, it's good when people use their talents for the Lord, especially young people. This time, Taylor Johnson and Allie Branch has our special. King of 
Psalms 128, let's all stand for the reading of God's holy word. Psalms 128, verse 1. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold that thus shall a man be blessed, or shall a man be blessed that feareth the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share a portion of your holy word. Thank you for people that just give their lives to you, that follow you, and that take a stand for you. Help us to seek these truths from your holy word. Bless our families, our marriages, our homes, our young people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. This uh, message this morning is the first of five messages concerning home improvement. And really, you know, instead of just being a spin-off name of a 90s sitcom, home improvement is something that we all need. Every one of us. I need it. Uh, we, we all need strengthening. You know, and thinking about these five keys to home improvement, there's some basics. There's really more than five. I mean, and I, I really, I had a list of probably, there, there's no telling how many things I had on my list and I was going through and narrowing some of these down. You could have more than five, obviously. There's not just five. But, you know, thinking about a successful home and a successful marriage, whether you're married this morning, you're thinking about being married, or whether you're struggling in your marriage, or you're strengthening your marriage. All of us are in that position. If you're either married or you're not, you're either strengthening it, or you should be, or you're struggling. It's the same as your walk with the Lord. So, what can I do to improve my situation? Or is there any wisdom from God's holy word that we can glean, that we can go with? First of all, I just put a family that will pray, uh, or family who will pray. You can say a family who will pray together. I remember seeing a sign one time, and uh, and I remember where it hung in, in our house. And, and uh, as a kid, even as an early preteen and teenager, I saw it, and it rocked my world because it was right after my parents' divorce that I that the light bulb came on or I first read it. 
And there was this ceramic sign in our house that said, The family that prays together stays together. And I thought, well, I guess we don't didn't pray enough. And uh, that's what hit me. I mean, as a preteen, as a teenager, young teenager, I thought about that. And I said, well, some, I, you know, and it doesn't mean that Christians don't get divorced. We, we shouldn't. We should have a better marriage rate than, than others. But there's things here. You know, and, and we could say some things like... Uh, you know, and I came up with some catch slogans. Well, I'm, I'm, my, me and my husband or our family, we're really struggling. Uh, well, somebody said, well, just pray more. Or just go to church more. You know, or s- s- anything like that. It, but those are just superficial statements. You, can, you know, superficial answers. And when I'm talking about praying more, I'm talking about doing it boldly. I'm talking about doing it with with desire. I'm talking about... All costs, no holds bar. We are going to pray together. Do something you've never done before. Stand up in a restaurant, circle up with hands held. Do anything. Do I mean, go bold for God, or as the saying goes, you know, go bold or go home. You know, go do it. Grab a hold of prayer. Pray when nobody's expecting it. And pray with your kids, for your kids. Pray with your wife. Karen and I were praying last night. We were praying. Uh, we pray with our kids all the time. Uh, uh, something I've shared with you before that it's a neat tradition. We started it as a, a young pastor and, and pastor's wife and had our firstborn. And we said we, we want a prayer to make a difference. And so we, when school started, when Taylor was Pre-K-3 or whatever it was. We said, we're going to pray before we go to school. And we have been ever since. When there, was, when there was three of us, then there was four of us, then there were five of us, and now there's four of us again. And, it's, and, and so on and so forth. And we prayed and we circled up and we've held hands. We prayed before we left on trips. Lord, as we go out on vacation, don't let anybody get sick so Daddy has to come home early. <laughs> or stuff like that. And so they're praying together, pray at the drop of a pray in a hallway, pray in a hospital, pray in a car, pray. I give you a little tip. If you pray with your kids, don't preach to them in your prayer. Just pray Jesus into their lives. You've already just told them what they did right or wrong or what you'd like for them to do. Just speak in Jesus' name and say, I want them to live bold Christian lives. I want them to be example to their friends. I want them to live for Jesus. Help our marriage. Be, that me and mom, and we make mistakes. We're not perfect parents, so I want them to see we're real. Don't be a fake to your kids. Don't put on a show. They see right through it. Pray. Pray with them. Pray boldly. I put in here a couple of things. I think I put it in the outline. Prayer prioritizes your problems, and prayer also shifts the conversation to God. You have somebody, mentioned this earlier to someone, I said, you have somebody coming up to you and wanting to say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so or such-and-such? And you say, yep, let's pray for them right now. <laughs> They're wanting to gossip, and you're wanting to pray. They'll stop wanting to gossip with you. Okay. And just shift the conversation to God every time. Let's pray right now. 
Be bold. Get on your knees and do it. You say, well, I can't. Well, sit down somewhere. <laughs> you know, I talked about that. Somebody said that one time. Said, well, I, I can't come and pray at the altar because I got artificial hips and joints and knees. But we, it's bold to stand up and say, I'm going down front. I'm going to pray. I can't bend my knees, but I can sit on that pew. And I'll sit there and I'll pray on the front pew. I'll sit on the step or something. But all that is is saying, I want God to be included. And I don't care what anybody thinks. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray boldly. And it's not going to be superficial or half-hearted. And, I, and I'm going to just talk to the Lord like you talk to a friend. And speak to Him. Share your heart. And if you can't do that, well, then you need to tell the Lord, say, Lord, I need some help here. I need some help. So pray. There's a couple of quick verses and that I'll throw at you. I've got a long ways to go in a short time to get there. Luke 18, 1, it just says, well, to pray and not faint. And that means don't give up in your prayer life. And the story after that is about a widow woman who wouldn't stop pestering the judge. And she finally said, enough. I've had enough of that widow woman. I'll give her anything she wants if she'll quit, which tells me God just saying doesn't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up in your prayer life. Don't stop praying for your kids or your grandkids. Be bold in your prayer life. Pray publicly with your kids. Don't embarrass them, but just pray. Pray with them. Of course, then also James 5.16, the last part of the verse says this, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I'll never forget the time that my grandfather's throat cancer, that's my mom's dad, went into remission. And he got up and shared his testimony, and that was his verse. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And it is. It's powerful. Pray. So a family who will pray, and, and not just at dinner table, not just that you'll pray at the drop of a hat. Whoever it is, I don't care if it's the kids, the mama or the daddy, the ins and outs, the stepmom, the stepdad. Pray with your family. And not just superficially. Pray over a test. <laughs> pray over a, a, a homework assignment. Pray that I'm struggling. Pray if your ankle's hurting. Pray. I mean, and then it'll become a habit. I've taught and preached ever since I've been here about popcorn prayers. Pray while you're driving down the road. Send them up. God wants to hear from you. Paul said, pray without ceasing. That's the only way I know how to do it. Unless you know something else. To pray without ceasing. Secondly, the key, second key to home improvement. And of course, I have a footnote, an asterisk, a disclaimer attached to this one. It's the very first point. Under that, a father who will lead. We need, we need fathers who will lead. And if you're in a relationship where your husband will not lead spiritually, then you lead. Don't make excuses. Just say, well, my husband, just lead. They grab the reins and go and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead my family in the Lord. As a matter of fact, that verse in 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, a, a man, woman, person that provideth not for his own house is worse than an infidel. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means this. 
According to God's design, the man is responsible, and I've preached this before, for two things. Provide physically for the family and spiritually for the family. I'm supposed to lead in those two regards. So, you know, provide. I'm a provider. God designed it that way. To provide. And not only provide, they have clothes and food and shelter, but they also know Jesus. And a father who will lead. A father who will say, I will, I will do that. And you say, well, I'm married to a lost husband. I'm married to a husband who doesn't come to church. I'm not married or whatever. Then you lead because you need to provide for your family. And not just physical things. We need husbands who will communicate with their wives and talk to their kids about the tough subjects. Of course, we all, you just sum it all up, we always say sex, drugs, but I put in salvation. That you won't back away. The... Book of Proverbs, chapter 27. The Word of God, just a neat neat little verse here. It says this in verse 12. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. The simple proverb means this, you see trouble and you take action. That's it. Don't, I mean, it's just, I see danger, I'm going to avoid the danger. That's what the proverb's talking about. So if you, as a mom or a dad, and you're leading, you're, you're supposed to be, and mainly it falls to the dad, I'm supposed to lead for my family and my wife and my kids, I'm going to lead them, and if I don't say, I need to be on the lookout for danger. I need to be on the lookout for problems. It says there that if I'm a wise dad, I need to be on the lookout for danger and try to warn my kids. Talk to them. Don't run. Well, they'll learn on their own. The Bible calls you foolish if you don't warn them. It doesn't mean that they're not going to learn from their mistakes. They're not going to fail. They're not going to mess up. That's not what it's saying. But they, they heard your warning. They heard your advice. doesn't mean they'll follow it, does it? No. But you led. You gave them the information. You talk to them. So many people are intimidated by their kids in when they have to talk. I'm not intimidated if I, if I have to, uh, if I'm out of my comfort zone. Can you lead when you're out of your comfort zone? Can you lead whenever it's not, when you talk about something that makes you and them uncomfortable? I say, I know it's the right thing to do, so I'm going I'm to do it. Whether I'm uncomfortable or not, I'm going to talk to them. Communicate. And it's not a berating speech. It's a talk from a heart of love. And you're sharing. Pray before you talk or after you talk. Either one, but include God in the talk. Don't just walk away and say, well, you know, kids are kids. The Bible gives you better advice than that. You don't just say kids are kids. They're going to do that anyway. They don't know. That's the, you're, that's the lie from Satan. 
He's lied to you. You've heard it from the world and you hear it from everybody else. Look in God's Word. What does that say about the subject? It says we need to warn them. We need to talk to them. We need consistent fathers. We need not Jekyll and Hyde fathers. It just says in Ephesians 6, 4, it says that fathers shouldn't provoke their children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And uh, what this means, when I say not Jekyll and Hyde, there may be somebody who's not read that book or heard the story or seen the play, but Jekyll and Hyde, it just means you're one way at times and you're another way. Folks, parents, kids can see right through that. They know when you're putting on a front. Okay, we need to be consistent. Provoke them not to anger means that they see a, a model of consistency in front of them. Interesting research, I believe. Uh, it's not in your outline. Didn't have time to. I don't have not enough space in that outline, <laughs> Miss Denise. I'll send one time. I sent Miss Denise my long long. She said, "I'm going to have to put this in minus one font to get all this in, brother." My, oh, I've sent you the wrong one. I have to send you a shorter one. Research. This is from the Baptist Press, neat uh, publication says that if a child comes to Christ around 3% of the time, the family will come to Christ. If a mother comes to Christ around 17% of the time, their family will come to Christ. If the man of the house comes to Christ 93% of the time, the family comes to Christ. That shows you the importance of a dad, of a leader in the home. Moving on quickly, we need to cultivate an atmosphere of trust. An atmosphere of trust. This may sound oversimplistic, but let's just deal with the the men real quick. You know, and just talk, well, just say the husband and wife should trust each other and the kids should trust their parents. If I cannot trust my wife, then there's something I need to work on. And if she can't trust me, there's something we need to work on. And then think about this, kids. I mean, a lot of times I've heard this, and I know of people that, and, and Trey and I have talked about this, dealing with young people, that kids a lot of times will say things to a teacher or a youth pastor or a pastor, and they're afraid to tell their parents. That should not be the case. Shouldn't our kids... Shouldn't we cultivate an atmosphere of trust where they feel like beyond anybody, I can trust my mom and my dad. I can trust them. Yeah, they may be scared and they may not want to, but if you cultivate it enough and you know them well enough, you know it and you cultivate that. Folks, you don't just get that by accident. You don't get an atmosphere of trust in your home haphazardly. It doesn't happen by accident. And if there's not one now, work on it. Say, what do we need to talk about? It's not going to happen overnight either. Don't think, I mean, it's kind of like revival. You don't come back to Jesus all the way what you had 20 years ago and just get it in a one-hour preaching service. Don't worry, I ain't going to preach an hour. But listen, there ain't nothing wrong with it. Preach Jesus, okay? And listen, you know, an atmosphere of trust, so you're not just going to come all the way back to what you had one time with the Lord and say, I'm just going to... And when the prodigal son came back, he was welcomed with open arms. But it wasn't the same that it was before he left. He had to work on it and get it back. Atmosphere of trust. 
It comes through time. It comes through hard work. Speaking of guys, the Word of God and says in Job chapter 31, verse 1. Very, very powerful verse, especially today. In today's day and age, with the ease of, of pornography in every nook and cranny of our society. And Job said this over approximately 3,000 years ago. Really, well, to him it was probably closer to 5,000 years ago. He said this, I made a covenant with mine eyes when I should think upon a maid. Why then should I think upon a maid? Make a covenant with my eyes. In other words, that uh, guys are engineered by God that easily to lust with our eyes. It's just it's in our hard wiring design. Now, Jesus addressed it and so did Job. They all did. And said, I need to make a covenant before I get in a pickle, before I get in a spot, before I get into a mess, that I'm going to make a covenant, agreement, a way out. Great example, Joseph. Potiphar's wife propositioned him. He was out of there. He didn't make that haphazardly. That agreement was made before the incident occurred. For women... I tell you what, it's God designed them obviously different. And women says, you know what, I wish I had a husband that. I wish I had a husband that. I wish I had an honorable husband. Honor your husband. He'll more than likely become more honorable. Now, whether or not he becomes the man God wants him to be would be between him and God. But men are full of pride. All men. Some more than others. But if you tear a man down, especially in public, you will wound his spirit and wound his soul. And wives, the Bible, the Word of God speaks of this. The way you treat a man in public, the way you treat him at home, you want an honorable man? You want one that fears the Lord? Honor, honor him even when he's not honorable. The Bible speaks of this. Just quickly, I, don't, I know I don't have time. I can't camp out anywhere long because we're covering so much ground. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies? The heart of her husband does safely trust in her. Sometimes, the, and it should be this way, the, the man's closest friends. He needs to not only, the Bible says, leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. He needs to leave his friends, and the wife needs to become the most important person in his life. If you want a successful marriage, an successful home, I didn't say leave your friends, but the wife's more important than them. Besides the Lord, she is the most important person on the planet. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, and you provide and you provide a safety net. And when you uphold your husband, you give him encouragement, self-esteem, and confidence that can only come from a wife, and should only come from him or from her. It says, "The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil." It says here, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life, and he trusts her, 
And she trusts him because he's made a covenant with his eyes. You're the only one for me, baby. You're the only one. And when he knows that and you know that about him, you have a foundation based upon God's holy word. It also says in Proverbs 15, just back up a few pages about how you treat each other in public. I've seen people tear a marriage apart just at a, over a dinner conversation at the restaurant. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And the tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Your words hurt. Be willing to apologize when you do not, when you engage mouth and do not engage brain. Be willing to apologize. Alright? How you treat each other. Cultivate an atmosphere. There's a lot to that trust. Realize the power of commitment. There's a neat uh, triangle illustration that I've used many times. God, spouse, and you. And in that triangle illustration, we see this. We see that if you will just desire a closer relationship with each other. First of all, you both have to be saved. If you desire a closer relationship with each other, geometry dictates you'll be closer. I mean, closer relationship with God, you'll be closer to each other. That's it. Seek the Lord first, and all of these things shall be added unto you. That works in your personal life, your married life, and all the above. Okay? The power of commitment. You may be the only Bible some, somebody ever reads. Um, I, I need to be committed. Well, Brother Michael, I'm, I'm married to somebody that doesn't come to church. I'm married to somebody that may not be saved. And, and, I, and I know that, you know, there's a long story to that. Well, the Bible addresses this. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, I'm married to a lost person, doesn't marry, he doesn't honor the word, or she, or vice versa, whatever. They also may be without the word, one by the, and if you have a King James Bible here, it says conversation. That means your manner of life or your manner of living. It doesn't mean by the, sometimes the way you act, is a whole lot more powerful than the words coming out of your mouth. That's talking about, that word conversation right there is talking about your manner of life, how you live. That they may be one, without word, be one by the manner of life of the wives. While they behold your chaste manner of life, coupled with fear, who's, in other words, the way you behave, who's adorning, so I'm not going to try to attract him and win him, I'm just going to try to be the best example to him that I can be. Not putting on all this stuff. Verse 4 says, But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which gets God's attention. It says, In the sight of God is what? A great price. Alright? Commit to pursue God and each other. Don't desire a perfect spouse, just desire your spouse. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Matter of fact, on the screen up there, I put it in the ESV. It just comes out, just I think, a lot clearer. 
And King James, obviously I love the King James, always favor the King James. It uses the word charity in 1611. That was the highest form of love. This just breaks it down a little bit different. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. Folks, what if husband and wife both treated each other this way? Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And verse 6 goes on, it says, It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. And listen, if you want to stay happily married or you want to prove your marriage, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is powerful. And true love only comes from God. Commit to listen. Uh, this is the time that all wives should elbow their husbands if they're within... Uh, elbow distance. Listening. The Bible speaks of listening in Proverbs 14 and also uh, chapter 18. And just and I've got to fly through here. It also, we need to commit not only to listen, but we need to commit to love. Folks, love your spouse and love your kids when you don't feel like a loving person and when they're not lovable. Amen? Love them when they're not lovable. And you're not lovable yourself all the time either. But commit. That's called commitment. Too many people give up nowadays. The power of commitment. I mean, if you have a hard working person because they're committed. If you have an A student, it's because they're committed. If you have a great marriage, it's because you are committed. And I would need to be com- more commitment. And you say, well, I don't love them anymore. Make a commitment to love them. Love them even when they're unlovable. You say, is this my resignation, my design for the rest of my life? You may be the only Bible and the only hope of heaven somebody, that person, ever has. And God will give you the strength you need. Of course, this is just, I mean, that's five minutes in a, how can you talk about commitment? Just five or six minutes. Let's move on. This is a beautiful verse. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Realize the power of forgiveness. You'll lose your kids and you will lose your marriage if you don't know how to forgive. And uh, you will lose your relationship with God if you don't know how to forgive. And it doesn't mean you can lose your salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about joy, fellowship, walking with God. The Lord's Prayer dictates that. After this manner, therefore, pray. Pray all this, da, da, da. And if you don't forgive others, I'm not going to listen to yours. That's what God said at the end of the model prayer. He said that. So there's power and forgiveness. The example of the prodigal son, go out and waste everything. Make a, you've ruined our name, our reputation. But he said, the father said, I love you anyway, because you're my son. That's the power of forgiveness. You've got a heavenly Father who loves you and you can spit in His face and slap Him and deny Him publicly. And you know what He says? I still love you. Did you know that? That's the power of forgiveness. This great and awesome verse in Ephesians Chapter 4 and verse 32 says, 
Be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted. Oh, by the way, he's writing to a church. Forgiving one another. So church members, family members. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Forgiveness is the first step to trusting again. We talked about trust. If you want to cultivate an atmosphere of trust, you can't even start unless you forgive. And this very powerful verse in 1 Peter chapter 4. In verse 8, I'm giving you a lot of ammunition. I think I put all the references in the outline. Take it home, read it, study it, go over it, pray over it, and fall on your knees. And tell God, I'm ready to improve our home. I'm ready to do whatever it takes. First Peter 4, 8 says this, Above all things have fervent, that means zealous, that means extraordinary amounts of charity among yourselves, for love shall cover the multitude of sins. It says charity, but that means the highest form of love. The key to unlocking these, all these keys is Jesus. You say, well, Brother Michael said do steps one through five. If you leave out Jesus, just wad up the outline and throw it away. Just, just use it, make a paper airplane for it and throw it in file 13, throw it in the trash. This is this sermon has been worthless, useless. If we leave, if we don't have Jesus, a part of this, a part of your life, and a part of your relationship, a part of your marriage. Paul said it this way. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony, the story. This amazing story of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's all about Jesus. This could be the turning point in your life and in your marriage and in your home today. Not because I preached a message. Because you make a decision. You make a choice. There's no turning point about a sermon. It's just a message from God's Word. Now it comes down to your heart. I've heard the message. Now what I do? I heard the message. Now what I do? The key is Jesus. Cling to Him. Run to Him. Ask Him for strength. As we prepare for Him invitation. Heavenly Father, we bow before You. Asking that You would bless Your Holy Word. If there is something that's been said or shared... Dear Lord, Your Holy Spirit would take it and use it for Your honor and glory. And Father, that we would run to You. 
When we feel like giving up, we'll run to You. When we don't understand exactly what to do, we'll run to You. When our homes are shaking, we'll run to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.